Okay, good evening. We're continuing the series of Mesilat uh, Yesharim, Path to the Just. Uh, last week I wasn't here, as you know, I was uh, for nine days, I was in California. I had beautiful uh, Shabbaton in San Diego and another one in uh, Los Angeles. And all week I had lectures, which will be posted tomorrow on the website, hopefully, Bezrat Hashem. Also, one quick announcement. Uh, we set up in my website now a shopping cart. Many people keep sending me emails, and it's very tiring to, to answer for the same answer again and again. So I have to make this announcement. And everyone who wants to order CDs, as you know, for years already, we're ordering, we off, offering the CDs for $1 cost price. Whatever it costs to make, that's what we give. No profits here. But uh, they have to, there's uh, 11 or 12 options on the website, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. A person has to choose. You see the images of the CDs. You click on ordering CDs, and it shows you CDA, how many you want to enter. You put CD, B, C, D, E, all of them. Adds up based on one dollar a price, eight dollar shipping price. We made an average, sometimes a few dollars more, sometimes less. Hopefully, we won't lose on the shipping. So that's what it is. You order, you, you charge your credit card, and we send you as many CDs as you want. I hope. Up to now, we were trying to do a 50 CDs minimum, uh, but now this, we, we changed the different, uh, this different credit card processors, so now we don't need to put any minimum. Anyone can order any amount of CDs. But I hope that people will care about other Jews that have no idea what they live for to start wake them up before, it's, before time is running out. So the more they order and the more they give out, the more mitzvah we have here. That's the announcement. So we're starting today chapter 20. Last year, we finished chapter 19 speaking Be'ur Chelkei HaChasidut. Uh, explaining different uh, aspects of the Hasidut. If you remember, Hasidut means people who reach a level above the requirements, which means there is the requirements, and they're already in the highest level that it can be in every field of Judaism. And uh, today, we we're going to speak about the foundation of the Hasidut, the Mishkal, the weight of the Hasidut. And this is a very important thing that Ramchal say, It's a very special, important principle. And that's really the hard part of Hasidut. Why? Because it's very, very thin, very precise to do it correctly. One tiny mistake, you can lose basically everything. Uh, many of the things in life, the evil inclination of the person, describe them as bad, but they are actually very good for the person. But the evil inclination is, is the Satan, who is his job is to make us sin as much as possible. So he pictured us a negative picture, and we ended up believing his trick and losing a lot. And many of the sins is showing us like they are big mitzvot. Oh, it's a great mitzvah, and in the end, it's a, horrible, it's a horrible sin. We think we do a good thing. And a person not always can see the difference between good and bad. Definitely, when they, with, the, with the trick of this evil inclination, he can fall into this trap. So there are three things that a person has to take to, to his attention. One, that his heart, thank you, that his heart should be very honest, not only his mouth. He gets to a point that his mouth and his heart are working together, they lined up, and they always stick to the truth. And also that he will always think about how do I make my creator satisfied for me? 
That's his main goal in life. Nothing to do with what I gain, what's going to be my reward, how holy I'm going to be, how people will respect me, what kind of job would I get, how much parnasa will I have, who's going to marry me, how much Torah I can break that I know. None of these things. It's only basically how to do nachat ruach le'ashem. Lasot nachat ruach lefanav itbarach means to satisfy Hashem with his behaving, with his uh, Judaism observance. Uh, and nothing else. And, uh, and in order for a person to get to this level, obviously he has to give, to pay attention to every tiny detail in his life and around him. And will do his best to correct. Like someone sent me a text today that is Baal Tshuva, him and his wife and the family for a few years. And now all of a sudden it occurred to him that all the years that he never gave Maser, he never gave 10%, now, does he have to go back and try to estimate how many years he made money and he never gave 10% from it and now to start giving extra for the years he never worked? I mean, he never gave a maser? No. Uh, that, that's the question that he has. So what's the answer? To say that it's an obligation is very difficult. But technically, we have a general rule. What's the general rule? That a person should do everything he can to correct his past. Every mitzvah he never did, he didn't do enough, obviously he has to do. Every sin that he used to do, not only that he has to stop, he has to correct the sins that he made. So if a person owes money from 20 years ago to his friend, obviously he must return it. Some say that even if you stole money before you bar mitzvah, once you become bar mitzvah, you have to return it. If you lost an object and you still have the object, then you must return it, that's no argument. If you stole money, there's argument if you have to return it before you were bar mitzvah. But everybody agreed that that's midat chasidut, this is the right thing to do. To hold you guilty and to punish you for that, it's an argument about it. So many things that we left in the past uh, corrupted or spoiled, now if we have a way to correct them, we, are, we obviously have to do it. So to tell him that it's an obligation, I couldn't tell him it's an obligation because especially maybe who knows how many years, it could be a huge amount of money. And uh, Chazal, with their uh, wisdom, they didn't want to do something that will close the door to Baalei Tshuva. If a person stole a little thing and you build a building and it's in, into the building and the owner of the, of the nail is demanding to return the nail back to him. Technically, from the Torah, you had to knock down the entire building and return this screw to him, even though it's only 10 cents, the screw, and the building is $50 million. You'll have to lose $50 million to return to him this actual screw. But it's not realistic. No person would agree to do such a thing. Everyone would agree to pay for the screw, for sure. If he wants to become Baal Shuva, no one would agree to knock down the building to return to him the screw just because you stole it from him five years ago, right? But if the person wanted to take actually revenge against you and they demand this original screw that you stole from him, basically from the Torah you had no choice. And you had to knock it down. But Chazal, they knew that nobody would pass such a test. So they made a takana, a decree, that you give him the value of the screw or whatever you stole and it's over. Really without them you would still be guilty from the Torah. But from Chazal. So over here the same thing. If you come to a person that is 50 years old now, wants to become religious, and he never gave 30 years, he didn't give Maser. And you calculate how much he made in last 30 years, it can be millions of dollars he owe. How many people would do it? So to make an obligation, it's not realistic. But the general rule that a person has to do everything he can to correct, 
everything he did not do right. For instance, if a person never put filin, what's the tshuva? He starts putting filin. He regrets he never put filin. He's ashamed. He asks Hashem to forgive him. Comes Yom Kippur and it's over. But that's not what the rabbis write. They say now, since you did not put filin for the last 20 years, so don't put only one pair of filin. Put Rabbeinu Tam right away. Right? Rabbeinu Tam, it's hidur. It's not an obligation. But put right away Rabbeinu Tam. So now the next 20 years, you put two pairs of filin every day. It's making it up for the years you missed filin. This is an advice, a recommendation. So this is just to show that we have to do everything we can to make our past erased as much as possible. And also, uh, the Ramchal says, Ashre Adam Ozlobach, it means a person will put all his weight, all his Yahavo, means everything that he needs in his life, he throw on Hashem. Supply for me. Help me. I trust you. My eyes are to you. We know that the rule is that the more you depend on God, the more he is anxious to help you. This is the rule. So basically all you have to do is to show him that you really depend only on him. If you show him, I'm in your hand, I'm helpless, I'm worthless, I'm 100% in your hand, I trust you to do me this miracle, I trust you to supply, then things begin to work out. But if you trust him and others, sometimes you will really need the others. And sometimes they will, and sometimes they won't. But Hashem is the most reliable source, obviously. Adam was lobach. You know, a person that is oz, his strength is in Hashem, Ashrav. He is the luckiest one on earth. Hashem lo imna tov batamim. Hashem will never prevent any good for people who walks innocently after him in the right path. If one of the three conditions that I just mentioned, a person doesn't have them, he will not reach a perfect level ever in his life. He could be righteous in certain way, but he won't reach the perfect level of midat chasidut. And also, when a person is trying now to keep those three conditions, he has to also realize that he has to make his thinking perfect, clean. He has to have clean thoughts. He has to have iyun. So he has tmimut amachshava, the perfectness of the thinking, thinking correctly, thinking positive, thinking clean, not thinking anything uh, not modest or things like that. That's, the, that's one of the uh, conditions here. Iyun. What's iyun? Iyun means paying attention carefully to every little tiny detail in your life. Why you got on this plane in last minute, and why there was an emergency landing, and why there was an hour delay, and why your driver had to go 50 times in the airport until you finally got there. Things that a person don't pay attention. He looks at it as coincidence, but really nothing is coincidence. Nothing. Everything has a reason. Everything has a reason. You forget a shoe somewhere, and eventually that can lead to who knows what. So a person that pay attention to all the details is amazed how Hashem manage his life in such a sophisticated way. A person doesn't pay attention to the small details, may miss the entire picture. And also the third one is bitachon, confidence. Now many people make mistake in confidence by thinking, if I trust Hashem to supply me everything I want, then he'll give it to me. Confidence doesn't mean that if a person now wants a Rolls Royce and he has a full trust in Hashem, so tomorrow morning he will have it. No. That's not what it means. Confidence means that I'm confident that Hashem will give me what I need, not what I want, what I need, for sure. That part, I can, I'm confident. 
If a person doesn't have confidence in Hashem, even things that he needs he may not have, because he doesn't have emuna. We have a verse, it says, Someone who is trusting God, confident in Hashem, he's on the way to a big tragedy or trouble, and Hashem is picking him up from the, from the tragedy thanks to his confidence. What caused him to get saved is his confidence in Hashem that he will save him. So we see that the confidence affects your future, affects your present, affects everything in your life. But just to trust Hashem to give you $10 million or to win the lottery, some of the speakers, in my opinion, they're misleading the public by telling them that if a person will have 100% confidence that he will win the lottery, so he'll win the lottery. Not true. If a person is bad for him to win the lottery, he can have confidence as much as he wants. Hashem doesn't want to ruin his life. So you ask, ask, ask. You want this girl to be a wife. You have full confidence that from, in, from all the guys, Hashem will make her choose you. And Hashem knows she's going to be the poison of your life and destroy your life. Of course, he's not going to listen to your prayers and to your confidence. So like the, just like the Chazunish say, the confidence to have whatever you want, that's not the right confidence. Also, many people mix confidence with laziness. That's a very thin line between them. Once they discover this trick that you can have full confidence in Hashem and you don't have to worry anymore, to work, to kill yourself, because everything anyway comes from Hashem, whatever you need, so they decide to lay down and rest all day and do nothing. And when their mother say, why don't you go to work? Well, why should I worry? Well, Hashem will send me whether I work, whether I not. I just, all I have to do is trans- trust him. So he lay down in bed all day, do nothing in his life. Obviously, that's not what the confidence meant. To be confident in Hashem, that's not it. So, if a person has it, az yelech betach be'emet velo yeune lo kol ra. And that moment, he can go really confident and nothing bad can happen to him. This is what Hana said in her prophecy in Shmuel, the book of Shmuel, Ragle chasida Hashem watched the legs of his followers, his chasidim. What does it mean, their legs? He watched their legs that they will go and walk to the right places, the right places and the right time. Because if not, then a person can find himself in a place he didn't plan to, and it can, Chaz Shalom can already drown over there. And this is what David HaMelech wrote in Tehillim, Psalms 37, verse 28. Hashem will never neglect his Hasidim. He will always watch over them, will always watch what they do. Now, sometimes he may look that they neglected. There's really no help. For, for a month, for, for six months, for a year. But we always worry about the end of the process. What looks very bad now can turn into delicious honey. So what happened right now, it's not a way to judge because it's premature. You have to have patience and to see. In the end, you will always see that the followers of Hashem never lost anything by following Him and sacrifice. And this is what we have to understand the Ramchal say. This is what, exactly what I say. You don't judge by the beginning of a process. You have to pay attention. When a person comes to do a mitzvah, a chassid, someone who is a real chassid, doesn't just think, Hashem told me to do this mitzvah, I don't have a choice, I have to do it. And I do it and finish. No. 
He has to always see a few steps ahead, just like a chess player. The more steps he thinks in advance, the better player he's going to be. If he thinks five steps ahead, if he thinks 15, that's already a much better player. All these world champions, they can go 30, 40 steps ahead in their mind if he's going to do this, if he's going to do that, how will I retaliate here, there. He has uh, hundreds of moves in his mind, his very sharp, focused brain. Obviously, he always will, he will be ahead of the game. So in life, it's much more important than a chess player that you sit two, three, four hours, you waste your time, and in the end, what did you gain? You won a game, right? In life, it could be eternity. So a person that does something good or bad, I always have to see where it's going to end. I'm going to do something right now, but it will affect so many people negatively, and who knows where it can end? So a person always has to pay attention. It's not only this mitzvah or, or avera right now and it's over. No. It's where it's going to end. Sending this boy. Today I got a call from a woman, not in New York, and that she started to listen to my lectures in the last few weeks, and now she has a daughter that uh, at one point was very interested to be religious, but now she met a non-Jewish boyfriend, and she went with him, and now go and try to talk to her. To him, to her. So in, in the conversation, she said that uh, her husband did not agree that she will go to yeshiva because of the tuition. So he sent her to conservative, some kind of conservative uh, place or public, so public school. And that's the results of a public school. Putting your kids in public school has a very high chance they'll marry goyim in the end. Now, if you come to this husband and tell him, would you agree to go 10 years back in time and pay triple on a tuition? Whatever it was, let's say 600 a month. Would you pay 1,800 a month, go back to her age 12 or, or 10, and put her in good Bet Yaakov school or a nice place, and pay triple? I would say I would pay 10 times more to get saved from what I have now. But they don't listen. When I tell them that, when there is still time to save, they laugh. Ah, Shiva, Shiva, it's also good. When the problem comes, they call to cry. You understand what's happening here? So a person has to always see where my actions will end. Also, sometimes the act would look very good right now to do. But what will, we, what will be born from it in the future will be very bad if you will do it. And eventually, even though right now he did something positive, it would end up altogether a negative thing because there will be so many bad things come out of it uh, we give an example from Gdalia ben Achikam in a book of Yirmiya, chapter 40. This is what he, he brings. That uh, Gdalia, we have a fast of Gedalia, because there, there was a person, Ishmael ben Natania, that was Rasha, that he wanted to kill him, and, he, and they warned him, be careful for him, but he didn't want to accept Lashonara. He said, I'm not allowed to listen to Lashonara, don't tell me about him anything. I judge him favorably. And what happened in the end? He, he got angry at Yohanan ben Kareach, the one who warned him. He said, Sheker ata dover al Ishmael. It cannot be that you say something like this about this, this guy. I don't accept it. What happened in the end? He wanted to be righteous, not to accept Lashon Ara. And in the end, for, for 2,500 years, we suffer. Uh, we have to fast because of this. Why? Why is it? Because... Everything has, there, you have to see for the future. What if there is a chance it's going to kill him? 
And because of that, a lot of tragedies came to the Jewish nation because he was in charge of the taxes, paying to the goyim. So many bad things came out of it. And sometimes you want to try, let's say you go to a place by your parents or something like that, and all the family is coming, and they did something that is against the laws of Shabbat because of ignorance. They didn't know that they're not allowed to return or something like this. And you made such a big deal out of it, and you started to give them musar and speech, and they got, got all upset, and you ruined the entire atmosphere. And according to Halakha, this is what you have to do in a nice way. But sometimes trying to do what their books say will cause in reaction, in chain reaction, a tragedy, a disaster. Many of them got disgusted. They don't want to hear from the religion anymore because of what you did. They got embarrassed. The woman who cooked, she got embarrassed. You have to use your head where to say, where to pretend you don't see everything. You need, you need life experience. Without becoming a Tamid Chacham, it's very hard to know when to say, when not. Many times they ask Rav Ovadia about horrible things. They say, pretend you don't see. Ta'alimayin. I saw in his book, Rabbi Naki, he has questions and answers. It's about six or seven series already. Many of the answers, he asked him, what should we do? A person did this and this and that. Say, ta'alimayin, pretend you don't see. Why? In the circumstances of the situation, yes, you come and make a big deal out of it, you achieve something positive, but you, you get a lot more negative. Sometimes you're not allowed to be, even on a small things you have to say, because later it's going to get a lot worse. Bottom line, this is what the Ramchal means, that you have to always see a few steps ahead where it's going to end. In the end, it's going to become positive, or in the end, it's going to be negative. If the end will be negative, better you don't say anything. Yeah. Like I sometimes say, if a person comes and you know that he's a weak character, it's Mechal Shabbos, he's a weak character, and you know it's very difficult to make a person like this religious, very difficult. Finally, in the moment that he agreed to accept the mitzvah on himself, you don't come and tell, tell him all the little tiny things that are not as critical. You want to focus on three or four very important things that is or karet or death penalty to save him from that. And in a year from now, you worry about the rest once it's going to already be established. If you go full force, this, 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 not allowed, not allowed, not allowed, after five minutes, you say, okay, thank you, it was nice meeting you, a little, little diagoy. You understand? Also, all the ballet tshuva, as soon as they become religious, they make the life of their parents a nightmare. Nightmare. Not allowed this, not allowed this. You, you're wicked. I'm not allowed, I, cannot, I don't have to respect you. I don't want to live here anymore. I have to move. That, what is it? Two minutes ago you were a goy, now you became a Jew, now you want to make them also? It doesn't work that way. What you saw, the truth that you saw, they still don't have it in their head. For them it's all tradition. It's, uh, it's, uh, for them it's, they think that it's belief, it's a custom. They don't really look at that as a truth of life. The creator of the world set up rules here. They don't understand. So everything must be consulted with a rabbi that will give you the right advice and definitely not start making revolutions everywhere you go. And this is the Gemara, this Ramchal continue, being humbled caused Rabbi Zechariah uh, uh, to destroy our temple and burn, and burn it and send us to the exile because he did not want to sacrifice the goat with the story of Kamtsa Bar Kamtsa. They brought the goat, and the rasha cut his lip, and he couldn't, according to the Torah, you could not sacrifice such a thing. And the goyim, the king of the goyim, sent the sacrifice. 
and he knew that if by not accepting it from the Goy, it will create problem. So he had to think what to do to sacrifice it against the rules and save our nation from a tragedy, or to stick to the rule, whatever happened, happened, and he decided to stick to the rule. And in the end, the, the, the temple got destroyed, and everyone went to the exile, and a huge tragedy came for not making a small scene. You understand? So here is what we're talking about. Sometimes you cannot go scene and, and, and a mitzvah. Sometimes it's two scenes, a very big one and a very small one. The very small one in that situation will have to be the only solution. And it's not always possible to avoid making a scene. So therefore, a person has to choose what is not as bad. Also, we'll give a few more examples here. It says like this. The Torah tells us in Vaikra, Leviticus 19, Verse 17, you have to correct the way of your evil fellows, your brothers, your sister, your neighbors, everyone you have influence on and you can talk to, you have an obligation to correct and improve their ways in Judaism, in the way they behave. And sometimes a person stick to this mitzvah, doesn't think what's going to come out of it. That's what I have to do, I do no matter what happens. And sometimes these wicked people, because they get angry that you tell them that they're wrong in their face and their ego is so high, you have to predict it. You, know, you have to know who you talk to. If you're speaking to an arrogant person with, with very high ego, you have to know, you have to think a thousand times before you tell him something because you have to predict already that his reaction will be to make things worse. You understand? If he's eating now uh, shrimps and you come and, tell, and talk to him in front of people and then his ego is very important to him, so now to get you angry, he's going to come and take pork and do who knows what. And just because of anger, because you insulted him in front of people and you spoke to him that he's doing something wrong. You understand? So what, what happened? And the person has to know who he's dealing with. And if you know this person will rebel and do worse, will do worse things, then it's sometimes better to pretend he doesn't see than to make things worse. Only if he's sure that this person will hear him. There's a very high chance that he would talk to him on the side and say, I'm sorry, you're right, I'm wrong, and I will uh, try to correct it, then you do it. If you know that these people are arrogant, full of pride, you better sometimes not mess up, mess up with them. Then it says, sometimes it creates fights. It creates fights. Sometimes people get insulted. For instance, you come to a house of a people, and they want to give you a glass of water, and you don't know what they drink in this water in this glass. Maybe they, they eat not kosher in this house. Maybe they put milk that is not kosher there. They heat it up, it was hot. It's absorbed inside the cup. It could be a lot of things. But sometimes offending them, especially if they're sensitive people, by telling them, I don't want to drink from this cup, unless if you have disposable cup, because your house is not kosher, it would be a much bigger scene than drinking cold water from this cup. Drinking cold water from a cup, even if they drink in this cup pork, pork oil, and it's absorbed in a cup, when you drink something cold, it doesn't come out. So if there is a scene, it's a very tiny scene. Offending them in front of the guests or people there, it's a much, much bigger scene, and cause them to rebel against religion much more now. So you gotta be clever. You have to be clever. Sometimes I give you an example. Sometimes 
a person, uh, you know, he goes, to, he goes to a house and they're offering him food. And they claim that it's kosher, but he doesn't trust them. Because what's kosher for them, for him may not be kosher, or, or he may be think that they're saying it because they don't want to be embarrassed in front of people or in front of him. So they give him fish, they give him meat. You know where he bought his meat from? So what's the solution? Telling them, I'm, I'm not sure that you're really kosher or you're buying meat in the right place, also the same problem. So what's the solution? You have to tell them, my doctor said that I cannot eat. I cannot eat this. Vegetarian. No, my doctor said I cannot eat this. And aim that the Rambam said that you're not allowed to eat it, because Rambam is the doctor. <laughs> so he said, the doctor said I'm not allowed to eat it. They hear doctor, they leave you alone. There's no offense. You're not offending them. They have in mind, the Rambam wrote all the halachot. Not allowed to eat by people that are not reliable in kashrut. The best way is not to put yourself in this situation. Chacham enough berosho. When I go to a place where there's women, goyot, and I know they're going to reach their end to me, and I know to insult them, not to shake their hand, could become a, a, a serious problem, especially, for instance, if they're black people. She thinks, I don't want to shake her hands. Maybe she's black. Maybe I'm a racist. Who knows what can go through their mind? You have to always see a few steps in advance. Some people are sensitive. So what I do, I take books in one hand and another bag in another one, and nobody, nobody tries to shake my hand. Come like this, you know, camera, this, stand, like this. Oh, how are you? How are you? Well, that's it. It's called Akdim Trufala Maka. You prepare the medicine before the sickness comes. So we move on. Uh, we move on. So it says like this. Uh, sometimes... Uh, people try to be extra righteous on the expense of other people. For instance, let me give an example. It says in a time of, uh, in, Midra, in Midrash Rabbah, Bamidbar, this is what it says. The Leviim, the Levites, <coughs> everybody knew that Misha Toen Baron Scharo Merubeh, someone who deals with the, with the, uh, not coffin, the, the ark, the ark, what do you call the ark, not, yeah. So he has extra reward from Hashem. It's a very holy uh, service in a, in a Bet HaMikdash. So everyone neglect the table in Bet HaMikdash, the menorah, the altars, and everyone run to do the service in this Aaron, in this ark. And they all want, because they all want to get a big reward. So because of that, they used to argue and fight and push, fighting who's going to do the mitzvah. So one person said, I'm doing it. The other person said, no, I was first. So because of that, they used to disrespect each other. And Hashem used to punish them. They get, they get hurt from their behaving. Even though they had good intention, everyone wanted to get the biggest mitzvah. What is it like? Like in a shul. Sometimes a person wants to get maftir, aliyat maftir, to make uh, uh, for his uh, father that passed away, it's important for the neshamot because, you know, there's a reading maftir, there's a sgula for aliyat neshama. So you see that other people are arguing for it. I'm not talking when people are making beatings. When people beating, then nobody can tell you what. You pay, you pay for it. You didn't get it for free. But let's say if there's one gabai and two people wants to get it. So everyone comes and says, no, you have to give it to me. The other one says, no, you have to give it to me. Every, every one of them means well. 
Everyone thinks, well, I, I have respect for my father that passed away. I care for his neshama, for his soul, so I want to do it. The other one thinks the same. But nobody thinks that Hashem is more logical than us. Even a regular person that see two people wants to do something for their father, but one gave up to the other, he would appreciate the one who gave up more than the one who insisted. So if a person is clever enough to know that this guy is more righteous than the other because he gave up, it's needless to say that Hashem would also see it and give you the reward just as you did the maftir and you get a bonus for, for having good midot. So what are you fighting for? People that fight sometimes. And I've been in a place now this Shabbat. I went to Daven somewhere and I saw something very interesting. From the time you start the, the Psuke de Zimra, all the singings until you get to the Baruchu, it's long on Shabbos, about 20 minutes. So every person reads a part. One person read Mizmor, another one, another one, in a shul, people. So there was one guy who was anxious to read a lot. So every two, three things, he reads again. He jumped. So someone made a comment on the other side of the shul. And when he wanted to start another Mizmor, someone else started before him. I say to myself, I can't believe it. People are fighting who's going to read. Then the person who saw it, that they tried to block him, got up in the middle and said, thank you very much. Good Shabbat Shalom. And he went out of the shul. So I'm thinking to myself, how pride can destroy the life of a person? What do you care if you read loud? First of all, he doesn't know how to read. So he makes many mistakes. Somebody like this should be mute for the rest of his life until he learns how to read. But if you finally knows how to read, if you know how to read, most people don't know how to read Hebrew. Even if they went to the Hebrew University and learned grammar and got 100 on their test. Bring them to me, I prove to you they don't know how to read. They don't know how to read Mil'el, Mil'ra. They don't know how to pronounce the word right. They don't know where you have to put a comma and a period. And they don't read properly. They don't, just, just don't read. Shvana, Shvana, you see, they don't know how to read. So if you don't know how to read, better not to talk. And even if you know perfectly how to read, what do you gain by reading loud? Is this a reason to have an argument in front of people and make chilul Hashem? It's hard to believe that people can reach to that level. What else? So the Ramchal says, it says, a person should watch and keep all the mitzvot 100% in front of everyone without being embarrassed from them. This is what King David says, that when he was in front of kings, they all speak about business and women and food, but I always spoke about you and your Torah. I didn't pay attention to what they think. I want to speak about Hashem and the Torah and the religion. That's what's important. And they're tired of the religion. They don't want to hear it. That's their problem. However, if you know they're going to take actions and do bad things and it's going to turn into a very bitter scene, better not to, not to get on their nerve. You understand? So you have to be clever where to do, how to do. This is what David HaMelech said, I'm going to speak in front of the kings about you and your Torah, and I'm not embarrassed. Be strong like a leopard. He's not afraid of anything. There's a battle, there's a fight. He jumped. He doesn't run away. You ever saw a leopard run away from a battle, from a fight? So when you need to stick to the, to the law, to the halakha, you don't be a coward. You have to give every strength of yours to this mission. Omnam, the Ramchal say, the, even though you have to do it, you still have to be very careful. 
that if you want to do extra, more than their requirements, and that's going to get the people upset, don't do the extra. What you must do, you must do. They serve pork, you're not allowed to eat. But if you want to do extra, I'll give you an example. If they serve meat, there is uh, arguments between the Rabbi Yosef Karo and the Rama. The Rama is the main posek of the Ashkenazim in the last 500 years. And Rabbi Yosef Karo is the one who wrote Shulchan Aruch. It's the main posek of the entire world, but the, the Ashkenazim, the Rama put some comments that there's some of their customs are older than the Shulchan Aruch. They, they stick to the old customs that they brought from Europe from a thousand years ago. So sometimes there is disagreements on certain points in the halacha. For instance, meat. Which meat considers strictly kosher? It has to be according to Sfaradim, according to Rabbi Yosef Karo, an animal that when you slaughter it, the lung did not have any sirchot. Didn't have these veins who comes out that the lung is completely smooth. And, of course, there's no holes in the lung. Once this, the lung is, is naturally smooth, it's a kosher animal. If it's not naturally, naturally smooth, it's not a kosher animal. The Rama, which is a very big Talmud Chacham, just like Rabbi Yosef Karo, the same generation. So he wrote, he wrote that if you can smooth the lung with your finger, you play with that and it comes off and it becomes smooth with your finger, that means it was really smooth. It's no problem, it's also kosher. So this is something that Ashkenazim, they go to the store based on their chief rabbi, and they buy glad kosher. Sfaradi has to buy Bet Yosef meat. Flechatchila has to buy Bet Yosef. But sometimes you come to a place, and the Sfaradi is an ignorant person. He doesn't know the difference between the Ramah and this. He goes to a store, he pays double money, and he tells them, I want kosher meat. So the person over there is Ashkenazi, he sells glad kosher. He doesn't know Bet Yosef, no Bet Yosef, sell everything glad. So he gives him glad kosher. This person spent a thousand dollars for Shabbat. He came, he made a beautiful Shabbat. You come over there, you eat Bet Yosef. Now you know this person didn't get Bet Yosef. It's good to say something or no? You ruined their entire Shabbat. Better not to say anything. Why? First of all, the people don't know. Second, even if they know, they're not making a scene. They have a giant chacham to rely on. It's not that they come and eat pork. They eat something that according to many gdoleto writes strictly kosher. So, lechatchila, to begin with, you have to aim to get Bet Yosef, even for Ashkenazim. The religion is nothing to do with Sfaradi Ashkenazi, like many people think. It's nothing to do with where you came from. It's what's the truth of the Torah, whether the person who say it is Yemenite, or a Hasid, or a Litvish, or a Sfaradi. It doesn't matter. Who cares who say what? The truth is what's important, not who said it. Therefore, if an Ashkenazi rabbi says something, say something, and a Sfaradi says something, and it's an it's a, argument from the Torah, and you, you don't want to take any risk, doesn't matter if you're Sfaradi or Ashkenazi. You have to go which one of them is more strict. It's a Chilul Shabbat, maybe, from the Oraita, Isur Karet. I'm going to go like the Ashkenazi rabbi. Ah, the Sfaradi allows it. Doesn't matter. Same thing the other way around. If there is a Posek Ashkenazi who say this is okay, and the Sfaradi say, no, it's Chilul Shabbat, what do you care if it's Sfaradi or Ashkenazi? This argument between giants. According to one of them, what you just did is a big scene. Do you care where he came from and what's his accent? You care about his knowledge in the Torah. He's knowledgeable in the Torah. He's a big Chacham. He tells you what you do is Chilul Shabbat. So why to take a risk? Why? Certain 
times in life, you have to go to the strict side. The same way, the other way around. If it's a mitzvah de Rabbanan, it's a rabbinical law, and uh, you are Sfaradi, and the Ashkenazi say it's allowed. The Sfaradi say it's not allowed. And the Ashkenazi say it's allowed. So you have an argument between two Chachamim. Over here, you can do like the Ashkenazi, even though it's Sfaradi, or the Ashkenazi can go like the Sfaradi to the lenient side. Why? Safek the Rabbanan lekula. you won't listen to your Rebbe. No, you don't have to listen to your Rebbe. You only have to listen to your Rebbe if you're complete ignorant in Halacha. This law apply, I can prove to you. You're only allowed to listen to one rabbi in everything when you don't know how to learn yourself halacha and to decide what's the right way to do. So people who never learn in yeshivot, they don't know how to open books. Of course, they have to have one rabbi in everything and they don't ask questions because they don't know anything. But if someone knows how to see, and he knows this is a sin from the Torah, and the safek doraita lechumra, he has to go like the lechumra. And if it's the rabbanan, he has to go lekula. And you can go like different poskim. Why? Because you have to wait the things. And I can show it to you in not one book, in at least 20 books of halachot that I search very carefully. They all say the same. It's not an argument about it. Why they say aselech harav? You don't know how to learn halacha. You don't know the terms. You don't know what's affect the oraita. You don't know anything. You just became bal shuva two months ago. To start thinking who's right, you don't have the tools. So you take a rabbi, rabbi, you my rabbi. Everything I ask you, you decide for me what to do. Now, what do you think your rabbi has to do? Same thing I just said. When you ask him a question, he knows there's someone to rely on. To be a good posek doesn't mean everything is not allowed, not allowed. Not allowed, everyone can say not allowed. You come to the priest, he can always tell you, not allowed, not allowed, not allowed, without learning ever in his life, Torah. To say not allowed, it's an easy solution. To say not allowed on something that is allowed is a sin. You should know that. If a person comes to you with meat that worth $500, and he asks you a question, according to Allah is allowed, but that rabbi wants to be extremely cautious, but it's really allowed. And he said, no, you have to throw it to the garbage. It just made you lose $500. It's a sin for him. You cannot just say not allowed everything. You have to find a way to make it mutar, if there is a way. If there's no way, there's no way. It can be a million dollars. It doesn't matter. But if there's a way, a prosek, le'etera, koach de'etera adifa, chazal say. If you have two options, to say aloud, to say not aloud, you have to always do your best to allow it to the public. You want to be extremely cautious for yourself? You can do whatever you want. Nobody tells you what to do. You want to pay triple? Fine. You want uh, to throw it because of a doubt? It's your choice. But to force it on the public, to be in this strict level, it's a different thing. We're going into deep stuff. It's really not the subject here, but this is just in general. And I'm not telling anyone what halakha to do, what not to do. I'm just saying that the religion has nothing to do with whether you're Sfaradi or Ashkenazi. It matters what's the truth. So sometimes the Ashkenazi posek, you will have to go like him, whether you're Sfaradi or not. Sometimes you have to go like the other one. Why? Because in this situation, since you don't know who is more precise, you will have to not take a risk. And sometimes, when it's not from the Torah, it's a rabbinical law, you, and you're going to lose money or a lot of time, and you're going to have a lot of aggravation or embarrassment or something like that, then you can count on the more lenient one, even if it's not like your nationality. This is what I'm trying to say. Then the religion is not determined of where you came from. Like now, all of a sudden today, according to Ashkenazim, this and this and this allowed. According to Sfar, what is this? 
who, where, show me one source in the entire Torah, in the Talmud, that it goes by the place where you came from. It's all strict arguments about what the Torah meant. That's all. Would it matter where the Chacham lives? Hmm? We're talking minha, customs. We're not talking halacha. Halacha is the same halacha, same Torah for everyone. Minag is a different story. Minagamakom, fine. And also minagamakom, there's also rules about it. When you come to a place and you have your own custom, and the majority of the people are going in one custom, you have to cancel your custom and get swallowed in the majority in town. Which means, let me give you an example. You go to a place, you have a certain minag. What is your minag? You put talit in mincha, like the Yemenites do. Now you come to a Hasidic area, nobody does it. So you don't do it in the middle of the shul, you put talit in mincha. Yes, it was your custom in Yemen, you keep it in Yemen. Now you came to a place where the people don't have this custom, you don't do it. However, what happens if you come to a Jewish community that have 100 people there, and you came 300 people in one shot? You became the majority of the place. If you come, the 300 come slowly, slowly. 20 comes, and then a year later another 20, and another 20. Each 20 has to do the custom of the 100, because they cancel by the majority. But if 300 comes, they turn everything around. They become the majority of the place. You understand? That's, by the way, one of the claims of Rabbi Ovadia Yosef about the laws of Eretz Israel. He says that whatever the Ashkenazim did, they came to Israel in a period of few hundred years, another Aliyah and another one. But every group that came from Poland or from Russia, they had to take the custom of Eretz Israel, of Rabbi Yosef Karo. He was the Marad Atra of Eretz Israel. He was the chief rabbi. And some of their custom from Europe was different than him. So when they arrived to Israel, they had to cancel all their minagim and go according to what Eretz Israel had, which was like the Shulchan Aruch, not the Ramah. But they didn't care about the custom of the place, and they stick to their minagim. And eventually, they became the majority. And now it looks like the Sfaradim of live in Eretz Israel, they do the opposite of, of the majority. But really, technically, if they would come 50,000 in one shot, then they become the majority. That's it. So they stick to their custom. But since they came slowly, slowly, little by little, technically, in Eretz Israel, everyone should go only like the Shulchan Aruch, and no other comments. But that's already an argument for the yeshiva, not for here. So let's move on. So the Ramchal continue, and it says like this. Sometimes, if a person wants to be extremely righteous, Hasid, and he will do it in front of the public, you know he, they will laugh at him. Let's see, when he prays, he prays in his own shul with righteous people. So he cries, he makes faces, he sticks to Hashem, he does all kinds of things. Nobody laugh, because they're all righteous just like him. I know, you, want, you scream to Hashem when your heart hurts from your sins. What happens if you come to a very modern community? They are, they're barely davening. They come 20 minutes, just want to finish and go. And he comes in the middle of the shul and begins to scream and to cry, and everyone laughs. <laughs> it's crazy. This person is crazy. They're not capable of understanding. So what did you gain? You came to be extra righteous, to pray with tears and crying and making noise. And 200 people laugh, and each one of them made a sin from the Torah. They laugh at this Jew, especially when he does supposedly the right thing. So you actually machti otam. 
because it's like lifnei ver lo titen michshol. Now, if it's mitzvah from the Torah to to do it like this, then you don't have a choice. You must do it. But if it's extra, midat chasidut, the Ramchal say leave it for quiet places when when you know it won't attract too much attention. I give you an example. You know there is there is an accent how you talk and how you pronounce the letters. In Shulchan Aruch it says that you have to pronounce the letter correctly. At least the ayin and the chet. If not that, then it's then it's a problem. It's already a problem in your in your davening. What's ayin? In Hebrew you have aleph that it comes from the mouth. You say ah, and then you have ah that comes from the throat. Ah. All the European countries do not pronounce ah from the throat like in the Arab countries, because there was the custom of the goyim in Europe. They don't have ah comes from the throat. So since they grew up in uh, Europe or in America, they don't know how to say ah. So when they read in the Torah, according to the Shulchan Aruch, it's a problem. Also, chet, you say cha, it's chaf, but it comes from the mouth. But if you say cha, comes from the throat, it's two different letters. Sometimes it makes the word opposite of what it really means. So if people don't know how to pronounce it, like in the Middle Eastern countries, that you have ha, comes from the throat, they come from you, they don't know how to pronounce it. So there are two letters that the Europeans don't know how to pronounce very well. Some of them worked on it and they know how to do it. I know few, but most of them don't know how to do it. So many of the Sfaradim, Baalei Tshuva, when they speak Israeli with Israeli accent, they don't, they don't also speak like this, ha and ha. Because they grew up in Israel, people don't pay attention how you say. So when they become Baalei Tshuva, when they come to pray, they are focusing on pronouncing the letter correctly. But it looks like a joke, because everyone knows how they talk every day. And all of a sudden, it looks like a, a Broadway show. Ha, you know. So they try to do the correct things according to Shulchan Aruch. So, but everyone's starting to laugh. What is this guy trying to talk like this? So Rav Ben-Zion, Abba Shaul, told one of them, don't pray like this anymore. Pray the way you talk. So oh, Rabbi, but I show him in a book. So yeah, I know the book. But because of you, nobody pay attention to the davening. 50 people here did not think about one word of the tefillah. All they thought about is your being a clown, trying to pronounce the word and laugh behind your back. You understand the point is? Just to stick to be book smart, and then achieve a lot negative right after what you do, that's not the point of the Torah. So the Ramchal continues, They laugh at him behind his back. And they're all sinners, and Hashem will punish them for laughing at him. So what was the point of doing it? It wasn't an obligation. It was midat chasidut. It's not a complete obligation. Therefore, it's better for the chasid not to do it in front of them. And this is what the prophet Micha say, Micha 6, verse 8, Be modest and quiet when you follow your Hashem. Don't be too noisy and attract too much attention. And how many big Hasidim in history left their Hasidut when they were in front of the ignorant people? They didn't want to offend them to think we're all wrong. You know, today there is a, there is a bad habit. Many of the people, especially it's by Baalei Tshuva, 
They try to be extra righteous. So they cut everything from their life, what they used to have, everything. Even things that they can keep, they cut. And after a while, people who are from, from birth, that they know much more Torah than this Baal Tshuva, there's hardly only one year learning. This is a guy, third years in yeshivot. He knows a lot more Torah than him, but he's not doing these extreme things. So when this Baal Tshuva see him, he thinks, oh, I'm much better than him. He's a sinner. He's a sinner. Why? He doesn't keep Shabbos Rabbeinu Tam. He's a sinner. Oh, he doesn't put filin Rabbeinu Tam. He's a sinner. I'm better than him. I'm already one year and I'm pudding. This is how they begin to think. So therefore, they're starting to disrespect Talmidei Chachamim. And it's, it's create Lashonara. And in the end, none of the things that they talk about was an obligation. They, they thought, by the way they brought up, that this is an obligation. Many of the Rashi Shivot, they don't allow the Nubale Tshuva to do anything of Midat Hasidut. Nothing extreme. Just the minimum obligation. And if they do, they stop them. It's one thing, you don't demand them to do extra. That's one thing. There's another thing, if they decide to do extra on their own, you leave them alone. They come and say, stop it. You're not in a level for it. In one year, you ask me if you can do it or not. You understand? If, why? Because then uh, 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 the Saba Mislovotka had a student in his yeshiva that was accepting Shabbos one hour before the time. And in his yeshiva, everyone accepted Shabbos in the right time. So he told him, the Rebbe called him, he said, tell me, between you and I, when you see all these guys, your friends, they accept Shabbos a minute before the time, and you already accept an hour before, don't it make you think that they're all sinners? Say, Rabbi, tell you the truth? Yes. Say, right now you stop. You accept Shabbos a minute before, like everyone. So, ah, Rabbi, I'm doing it for a while already. You don't do it, you make a sin. You do extra, something that is not mandatory, and it makes everyone look wicked in your eyes, because you think you're a big shot, you better not do it. This is it. That's what he told him. Stop it right now. You understand? So, this is it. And also, also, uh, it says like this. Sometimes it's all come from ego, from pride. Many people pray very long davening just because of a show-off. When they're alone in their house, they got stuck, they didn't go to shul, they daven five minutes. But in a shul, 15 minutes, right? They want to know what people think about them, what they say about me. I prayed double than the rabbi. The rabbi prays seven minutes, I'm 15 minutes. I'm a big tzaddik. That's how they think. Half of the prayer, they think, well, I wonder what, who's looking at me, who's much. I once saw somebody that was you know, a big show-off guy. It was a sandak. That he, after everyone finished, he was a sandak. Everyone went, they sit, they eat. You know how the sandak, everyone wait online to get bracha from him. And after everyone sits, I saw he's making all the show, like he's a mekubal, he's doing all kinds of things. I knew he's a crook from before that. But he's going like this, and every once in a while I was following him carefully. Every once in a while he goes like this. And he goes like this, like this. And when he saw nobody pays attention to him anymore, he stopped. As long as somebody was saying, look at this big Baba Sali. <laughs> I said, who are you fooling? You understand what's going on in this world? Yeah, it's uh, better not to do than to do and to be a show-off. So the Ramchal say, 
He doesn't speak about Yohara. Mechzike Yohara. It looks like pride. Don't do it. If it's pride, it's a sin from the Torah. Here it's not a sin. It looks like pride. When everyone do one way, and you decided to do it the best way. Next to them, don't be a big shot. But if it's really Yohara, then forget about it. Then it says, Nimtzet alamet, conclusion. Someone who wants to be a real chassid, translation, has to weigh everything that he's about to do, which is extremely high, what bad can come out of it. And if there is bad that can come out of it, better not to do the extra. Just do the mandatory, the minimum, and that's it. Then... When a person does something, you should always remember that Hashem judged it, judge it by the end of the act. If Reuven did 90% of the thing and Shimon came and finished the last 10%, who gets a bigger reward? The one who finished. The one who finished. The one who finished is the one who gets most of the reward. You did 90% of the work, you build a shul. You did 90% and you didn't finish. Your friend came, put the last $100,000, you put 900000 you build the place, this, that. Your, your, your friend came, put the, 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 elect, the electrician, the finishing, the this, the floor, the doors, the window. He's the one who finished. He's the one who actually made the shul ready to go. That's why a person has to remember that the end, the end of the act is more important than the beginning and the middle. And what else it says? Rabbi uh, Tarfon wanted to be strict like Bet Shammai. Bet Hillel and Bet Shammai is two big yeshivot, 2,000 years ago. Rosh Yeshiva Hillel and his student, Rosh Yeshiva Shammai and his student. Shammai were, were known as more strict. In everything, they're more strict. So Rabbi Tarfon decided to do like Bet Shammai, even though Alachai is like Bet Hillel, the Alachai is like Bet Hillel, but he wanted to go strict like Bet Shammai. Amrulo, they told him, you really deserve the punishment that you did not do like Bet Hillel. So he should have answered them, what's the problem? I want to be more strict like Bet Shammai. What's the problem? I'm doing a sin. I did extra. In a place where they are, they said the halacha is like Bet Hillel. This is the halacha over here. Like the rabbi said, the custom over here is not Bet, Bet Hillel, halacha kmotam. And he went and did like Bet Shammai. Really, the, the language of that is that it says like this, You're actually guilty. And what does it say here? Because if everyone will, will split to two different kind of customs, it would look like there's two Torahs. That's why he would say you better do like Bet Hillel, that everyone here does like them, that there will be two different customs, one does like this, one does like this, and the city will be 50-50. People see that a big rabbi does like them, and another one, and another one. The next thing, you come next year, it'll be 50% doing like this, 50% doing like this, it's gonna look like two, two different religions. So once we decided halacha like Bet Hillel over here in this town, that's it. You have to be like them, even if you wanna do more strict. We finished chapter 20, Baruch Hashem. 
Let's start a few words of chapter 21. How a person can achieve this level of being a Hasid. The main, the main way to get to this level is paying attention to the small details. Iyun, all the time. All the time. Without it, there's no way to become a Hasid. Also, to be persistent. Not on and off, on and off, up and down. On and off, you stay in the same level most of the time. You have to be pers per consistent and co pursue and continue non-stop. As to read everything David HaMelech wrote, Teilim, everything, Mizmore David HaMelech and every word that he wrote to Hashem, because he was a big Hasid. You want to be like him? You have to learn everything that came out of his mouth. He's the best teacher to become a Hasid. The words that came out of his heart, you read it in Tehillim, sometimes you want to cry from excitement. How there was a soul like this in our world. And he, and he felt it. It's not somebody who comes to give a phony speech, pretend it's the Baba Sali or something. We're talking here, someone who every word who came out of his mouth came from the heart, not from his mouth. And it's an integral part of the Tanakh, and Hashem put his stamps, confirmed, approved, everything. If it was a lie, it wouldn't be in a Tanakh. You understand? If, if it would be not Chas Shalom Tzadik, the Mashiach wouldn't be son. They're full of love and fear from God and Midat Chasidut, and the highest level of extra righteous. And when a person pays attention to every verse that came out of King David in Psalms, it's not possible that he will not wake up to come closer to Hashem and follow the direction of David HaMelech, of King David. Also to learn biographies and stories from the life of the extra righteous uh, holy rabbis that we had in our generation. Baruch Hashem, there's thousands of books, the life of this rabbi, the life of that rabbi, stories from their life. Rabbis who survived in the Holocaust in no conditions, how they gave their life to do, what to do. It's very inspiring. For instance, the great book, All for the Boss, Rabbi Herman. All for the Boss. I know a few Jews who were barely religious. Once they read that book, it made a huge change in their life. Much made a big change. So you hear, I, I know a few people that read some of the stories I said in the lectures or in, in, in uh, other places about the Rav Benzion Abba Shaul, how he was 15, 20 years, he just passed away 15 years ago. In our generation, what a Hasid, what a holy person he was, so it made a huge impact on their lives. So you see that it helps. You see people in our time that they reach a certain level and they live in this filthy generation in the highest level of the Torah, how can it not inspire you? You, have, you want to be as close as possible to this kind of person. So reading their life, reading things that they used to do. You know, I, I once told a person the story about Rabbi Yudha Tzadka, the Rosh Yeshiva of Porat Yosef in Jerusalem. is a big Sfaradi Yeshiva. All the chief Sfaradi rabbis came out of there from this Yeshiva. It's a blessing in this Yeshiva. Many Talmidei Chachamim came out. Rav Yudha Tzadka, which was a very humble man, was the Rosh Yeshiva, and one day he passed away. So they came to his Chevruta, they told him, come say eulogy. You learned with him for 30 years, you probably know him the best. So he answered, I cannot say anything personal about him. 
So what do you mean? Your third year's learning with him from morning to night, you don't know what to say, eulogy for him? He says, since the day we started to learn for the last 30 years, we never spoke one time any personal conversation. We only learned and no sihat chulin. We never spoke anything besides the learning. That was the rule that we made in the day we started to learn. You want to learn with me? Fine, I want to learn with you. One condition. We will accept, we will never say any word besides the learning of what we read. So therefore, I do not know anything about his personal life. 30 years. I told it to one Talmud in yeshiva, that taught is a matmid. He said, you just made me realize how far I am from being a matmid. <laughs> I thought that I'm careful not to talk about nonsense in the learning, not to stop, ask. Now I know how much more I have to go. Understand? So this, this, you see that it's inspiring us, perhaps in the best way. And this is an advice from the Ramchal, not from me. And it says like this. So that's going to give a person a nice direction in life. Also have to pay attention to the people that are not Hasidim, right? How much suffering and agony and worry they have in their life, because they didn't reach a high level in confidence and love to Hashem. How much they worry about their businesses, how much they worry about their health, their personal life, and things like this. And also, if a person is too much busy with what this world has, Vacation, trips, that, beach, parties, birthday party, clothing, shopping, this. Even going to the supermarket to buy things for Shabbos. That's a mitzvah. It's not a sin. But being busy with all these things makes it almost impossible to reach a very high level of righteousness and knowledge in the Torah. Because it's like going on and off to the oven. Going in, going out. Going in, going out. You stay cold for the rest of your life. I used to, I had the merit to meet Rav Yaakov Stefanski. We were, at one point, we were very good friends in Monsi. And he's uh, something that you don't see in this generation, very hard to see. All day with small tefillin on his head, nets minyan, first one in the shul, four, four o'clock in the morning, after mikveh, learning non-stop Torah. His wife was the principal of Bet Yaakov, of the girls in Monsi. One day she passed away. She had cancer. She passed away. Her funeral was one of the most shocking events I participated in my life. Thousands of girls and graduates. What an inspiration this woman had on them. And the eulogy he made for his wife was my, like a thousand Yemeki poor, as far as tshuva. A person feels to reach such level. So anyway, after, it, after she passed away, he came to me and said, can you help me out? I need some help in some financial issue, because I don't even know how to write a check. I said to him, what did you do all these years? He said, she took care of everything. She paid the mortgage, she paid the bills, she raised the children, and I was just learning all day to run. She never let me do anything. So I said to him, he said to me, now I have all these bills came. I don't really know what to do. I don't have how much money we have, we don't have. So he said to me, for 30 years, I didn't walk into a store any store, never, once even. You know what's going on here? You say your wife, Moishi, go get me some groceries. Moishi, I forgot eggs. Okay, close the Gemara, go get her egg. Ah, mitzvah, to help his wife. Next thing, Moishi, can you drive the kids here? Can you go there? Can you pick up this? The son is getting from Yeshiva, can you pick him up? It's all mitzvot, chasadim. But in and out of the learning, non-stop, you're not getting cooked right. And then he say, I'm, 
with these 30 years, I was five years in the attic. Besides going to the bathroom, I did not go anywhere. I was in the attic of the house for five years, learning nonstop, around the clock. And every once in a while, I ask her, are you doing well down there? You okay? You're managing? We okay? You have all the money to pay the bills? She said, everything is fine. So later, when I came down, I found out we're in a huge debt. She never wanted to tell him. Just before she passed away, hours before she passed away, he came sat next to her bed. She said, what are you doing here, Batlan? Why are you wasting your time sitting here? Go and learn. You understand what the woman she was? Who knows how many thousands of Jews got saved from her, her passing away? Who knows how many? It could be tens of thousands of people. That's what happened. When Hashem sees that thousands of Jews deserve execution, instead of killing them, He gives them more chances to make tshuva, repentance, and He take one rose. This is what we say in Shira Shirim. Dodi arad legano lilkot shoshanim. Hashem, Dodi, it's Hashem, comes to the garden full of thorns. Hop, found one rose. Take the rose, it's like a million thorns. Do you understand the value of a tzaddik? That's what's happening here. So it says like this. Because of a person being worried and participating in everyday life in society with people, markets, business and stuff, it distracts his attention from the real thing in life, which is sticking to Hashem. It does not let a person get enough fear from Hashem and things that he does. And in love to Hashem. What did the Ramchal wrote first? Fear, not love. First fear, then love. will never allow him to be a chassid. Bottom line, whenever you come to a place when the people in that shul are all scholars that learn Torah, or when you go to a minyan of balebatim, business people who goes to work, did it ever happen once in a history, not only in our generation, once in a history, that the people, the business people, the Balebatim, and that shul, or in every, everywhere he went, were more righteous and in a high spiritual level than the people who learned Torah? It never happened, and it will never happen. No matter when you come to town, if you have two options, to go to Daven, you ask your host, where are we going to Daven tomorrow? He said, we can Daven by the yeshiva, or we can buy by the shul of the business people. Without going there, you can swear on your life that the place of the yeshiva will be a much higher level of praying. It's going to be longer, it's going to be nicer, it's going to be no one talking, and everyone in a certain level. It's always like that. And then when you go to the place without disrespecting the business people, some of them are the supporters of the Torah, without them there would not be Torah, but it's reality. It's very hard for them to get close to Hashem because they go to Wall Street every day. They go in Manhattan, they sit on the subway, they see all these wicked people around them. They go into places, they have to sit in meetings, hear people cares. They hear bad music, they see bad pictures. You cannot close your eyes and walk in the street. It's affecting you. Even if you're not guilty of anything, even if Hashem doesn't hold you guilty of going to these places, reality-wise, it destroys your life. That's really reality. If you wouldn't be there, and you will be able to be all your life in a yeshiva with the books and good people, you will be the highest level of the generation. You have great potential, but your potential went to make business in diamonds and in real estate and all kinds of other things. So that's reality. So if a person can avoid going there, can avoid, 
Why not? Why not to reach this level? And it says like this. Also, what will keep a person from losses, spiritual loss, is confident that he will be confident in Hashem 100% and will know that everything he ever had, that's exactly what he needed and not an inch more than that. Why I only have $50 left in my bank account? That's what Hashem thinks right now that is the best thing for you to have. If he thought it's 50000 good for you to have in your account, that's what you would have. Right now, in this moment of your life, the time that you're in debt and people are calling you and abusing you and embarrassing you, Hashem knows that it's the best thing for you right now. You can pray, you can do whatever you want, but you should know that whatever happens to you, it's always what's, the, what's you really need for your life. And many times people cannot afford to do mitzvot because they don't have money, and they're thinking to themselves, fine, there's one thing I cannot afford a nice car. There's one thing I cannot afford a nice watch or a nice suit. But that doesn't bother me. I hear it a lot. What bothers me, I cannot pay for my son's yeshiva. That's what bothers me. That I cannot do elementary things, things that it's life and death. You know, for, I cannot get, buy my son a pair of tefillin for bar mitzvah. So what's the answer for it? If that's possible that Hashem thinks that that's the best thing for me to, to have right now, that I, that I cannot put my son in yeshiva, or I'm send him to public school, who's going to think that Hashem thinks the best thing for the boy to, be, to go to public school? So what's the answer? Hashem does it to you because he wants you to go and beg for donations. Why? Because he wants you to take your ego down. You're full of ego and pride. Think you're a big shot. He wants you to go, Mr. Moshe, the Gvir, help me out. I can have to put my son to it. He wants you to show how much you care, how much embarrassment you want to get to put your children in a holy school. You understand? You have to come to a person that can help you. I have to pay it. And it's a big embarrassment. So what people do? I'm going to go and collect it. It's a charity? No. Put him in public school. It's Hashem's problem, not mine. But if tomorrow somebody wants to take something he likes, he has a membership to the sport club or something like this, for that he's willing to kill. Put his son in, barmi, in, in a good yeshiva, it's not going to take embarrassment. But to lose this, believe me, he's going to go and demonstrate and do and make himself look like a fool. Why? Because that's, that's his stomach. That he doesn't want to give up. So a person... A per- in the old generation, people used to go work non-stop just to put their kids in yeshivot. No luxury they had. They didn't spend a penny on luxury. Today, what bothers the most is that you have people who come and say, I cannot afford to put my children in yeshiva. If you come to their house, you see how they live. You say to yourself, what a crook. He spent millions of dollars on nonsense. He couldn't spend a few thousand dollars on putting them and preparing their future, that they'll be in, a, in Hashem's way. It's not important enough for them. Television on the wall, every wall, the whole wall is televisions, everywhere, 2,000, 2,000, 3,000, 2,000. For that they have. One person, I told him, helped us for the CDs. So he helped, 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 then he stopped, as usual. He helped two or three times, and he stopped. So when I saw he doesn't make the, what he committed for, I asked him. So he said, ah, business is very bad, this and this and that. Next month, I said to myself, I'll try one more time with him. Yeah, people busy, they forget. I needed to take a lot of CDs to LA. I took 4,000 suitcases with 4,000 CDs with me. So I said, let me text him a reminder. So 
He said, he didn't answer. Then I, I saw a few days he doesn't answer me. Then a few days later he answered me. I just came back from vacation, from a cruise with his whole family. Going on a two weeks cruise with the whole family, even if it's cruise for homeless people, it's minimum $10,000, no? Out of nowhere, it's not holiday, nothing now. In the middle of the year, going on a cruise. For that, people have money. To save souls, it's not his priority. This is what I'm always talking about. You tell them, put your kids in yeshiva, what? It's expensive, this, that. Next thing you find out, he spends money like crazy on such nonsense. Such nonsense. You know, I, I told you once that I, I, I went to a place of very, very wealthy people, and they have few homes. They have few homes. So, <laughs> so when they go to one house, the other house left. So when they're not in a house, they, to maintain that house costs more than a large religious Jewish family for the entire year what they spend in a month not living in a house. Let me explain to you what I mean. They leave the heat in the winter on 75. Why? They're too lazy to go down to shut it. They leave the house, they go to the other house, the next time they'll come back to this month will be in two months, because they, uh, they have few mentions. So now the heat will be there on 75 for two months when most of the people cannot afford to put the heat. It's so expensive. They freeze in the house with their children and over there a empty house. There. Then they have the gardener, the servant, the driver. They sit, do nothing. They eat in the house. They use everything. They do, and plus the taxes that they pay on this house, it's $200,000 a year divided by 12. So it's like with the gardener, with the chauffeur, with the electric, with everything that they have, $20,000 a month without living there. And then you ask them, why don't you send your son to a good yeshiva, a good school? It's a ripoff. Shame, what is this? $20,000 a year they want? <laughs> you understand? That's just like the ladies. We ask them, why you don't go to the mikveh? She said, it's not clean. It's not aesthetic. Play, you know, bacteria, this, that. Yet, the water of the mikveh, most of the time you can drink them. That's how clean they are. And she goes to Sheraton, Hilton Hotel, all the sun lotion, all the sweat, all the bathroom of the children, everything get mixed in the things, in the water. And they swim there. Wow, what a fancy hotel. She drinks in the bathroom of the kids. And what do you think the kids do in the water? I don't want to tell you what's in it. Take it to the lab, you see. And sometimes they swallow the water accidentally. You know, when you swim, it doesn't bother them. But to go into the mikveh once, one time, in and out, with a closed mouth, well, in and out, no, it's not clean. To go to swim in a bathroom of the kids in Sheraton Hotel, there's no evil inclination who tells you don't do it. To go into the mikveh, the satan say, crazy, look how dirty it is. You know, it just reminded me what the Ramchal said, that when you want to do Midat Hasidut, you have to make sure that you won't do it, you won't do it in front of someone who cannot tolerate it. Many, many years ago, in my beginning, I went with my friend Navarro, Shimon Navarro, from Monsi's, today he's in Israel. He took me on, on the way to Shul, he said, let's go to the Mikveh on Shabbat morning. I went on Shabbat morning to the mikveh. The mikveh looked like a soup. It's mikveh of men, not women. Different story. But you know, there's thousands of people went there. So you had all, every, they didn't clean it yet, because it, it was already Shabbos is over. Sunday will come, they clean it. 
So <laughs> the, what, the way it looks, air and dirt on top. top. So, I said, so I see he's taking his jacket off. I said, I'm looking at the water. It looks like a soup. So I told him, don't tell me that you're going into this water. So he, he didn't even understand. He goes in, he goes into the shower, and that's it. Cold shower after Shabbos. So he says, so he says, he says to me, why not? I said, you're going into this water? <laughs> so he looked at me. He said, no, you're right. You're right. He realized that if he's going to go into this water, he's done with me. <laughs> he realized. Years later, he said he say to me, as a mazal that I didn't go into this mikveh. <laughs> Who knows where will you be today? <laughs> you understand? This is a perfect example of what the Ramchal say. Hashem knows you want to go in. But use your common sense. You alone go in. Someone who cannot understand it, is this an obligation from the Torah to go into this mikveh? No. You can go after the davening when he's not around, quietly. The person has to be clever. And the last thing for today, it says like this. The rule is that there's no righteous person that can do only good and will not make sins. If you don't play, if you're a player and you sit on a bench all season, you don't make mistakes because you don't play. If you play, you'll make mistakes. Some players are better than others and make less, less mistakes. But if you play, you make mistakes. If you want to be righteous, you have to understand that righteous people can make mistakes. But what comes right after the mistake? That's the test. You go right away and correct it, or you drag yourself into this path now, another one and another one, and you're falling and falling until you lose everything. Even if a person has a very high level, right? You still make mistakes. That's why a person should always remember never ever to feel proud. I am here and everyone is there. Never. If it leads a person to be proud, then you know that he's not only not doing any mitzvot, that he's actually making Hashem upset. Even though he keeps a lot, but thinking I'm the best is not. This is what. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, the president of Israel in the time of the destruction of the second temple, this is what he says. If you learn a lot of Torah, don't feel that you owed anything. You're only doing what you were created for. So why do you want to get people clap for you? You're only doing what you were created for. You created to eat, you eat. You deserve credit for it. You, you created to breathe. So you breathe, you deserve credit for it. Every, whatever you created for, you have to do. You, you were created to learn Torah, you have to learn Torah. That's it. And if you reach, don't feel how lucky I am, what a clever businessman I am. Think, how do I help the miserable people who did not have the merit to be rich like me? If he's a hero, how do I help other people who need my strength? This is the right thinking, not they are here, they're not in my league, and I'm here, don't invite them, don't, I'm not going to their parties, what excuse we gonna make? Moshe, you're not getting ready for the wedding? No, I'm not going. Ah, it's uh, all, the, all the, these miserable people's gonna be there. Who knows what food they're gonna have, who knows? Ah, it's not for me. That's not the right way. The right way, you should always remember, who am I? Nothing. That's why sometimes you meet people that are really great in what they do, even not religious. 
They're great, but they stayed ordinary. They're humbled. They talk, they're friendly, the kids come to them, they give them signature. They're not, and sometimes you see that they become the nastiest people on earth. They beat up photographers, they go crazy, they do all things, just because their ego went so high, they became monsters. So you see that the success destroyed them more than before. But Torah can also do it to a person. It happens to the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Rabbi Elazar. After he learned so many years of Torah, he went on his donkey and he saw an ugly man. He told him, Reka, what we say today, loser. Who, how, how is it, in the, the people of your city can ugly like you? He asked him, how can you be so ugly? So the person told him, go and ask the artist who designed me how he designed such an ugly uh, creation. But right away he realized what a huge mistake he made. And the question is, Right away, he made tshuva, he apologized, he followed him in the entire way and begged him to forgive him. Some people never apologize, and they never heard of apology. But he realized he made a mistake, so he tried to go, but the question is, how did a giant hacham like this, that when, they put his, when he died, he put his, his wife put his body in the attic for 22 years, the body didn't smell even. Not, it didn't become rotten, no worms, no nothing. In the heat of Israel, 22 years, it was in the attic. When they came to bury him, the people of the next town, they came to prevent the funeral. They said, we're not letting you bury him. Why? The 22 years that his body stayed in our town, not one person got killed, no robbers attacked us. He's the blessing of the place. Don't let you bury him. They had to bury him one hour before Yom Kippur. That no, everyone was busy preparation for the fast. Quietly, they took him and buried him that they won't know. This is a person that because his level of Torah was the highest you can get, son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, he got to a moment of pride. Moment of pride. Why? When you were all the way on the top of the pyramid and someone is in a bottom, it's very, very tempting to step on his head and think, who is he? But the hero is always reminding himself, who am I? I'm just like him. Nothing better. This is the right approach. Bezrat Hashem, we'll see you on the next uh, Monday. I'm going to mark myself that I know we stop here. We are in the middle of uh, chapter 22. 22, Baruch Hashem. And we'll see you next Monday. Baruch Adonai Lo'olam. Amen.